Ronaldo vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo, Ronaldo vai partir, paradinha, atirou, golo! Já está! Já está! Já está! Hello and welcome to the Portugal Podcast 101. Uh, first of all, apologies for the long gap since our last pod. Things have been a changing around here, with Vasco relocating to Spain for the time being. So, how could we replace one Portuguese football coach, journalist and expert? Of course, it has to be with another Portuguese football coach, journalist and expert. So I'd like to welcome Tiago Esteval. Hi Tiago. Thanks for coming on the pod. How are you? I'm pretty fine, thank you. Hello, guys. How are you? Okay, good stuff, Tiago. Lots to talk about today. Uh, first of all, we're going to concentrate on two items, mainly. We'll be talking about this week's European ties in a short while. But I'd like to start by taking a quick look at three emerging talents of the Portuguese game in the wake of their superb performances in last weekend's set of games. And the three players in question, they're a little different from the norm uh, when talking about top football talent in Portugal, in that none of them play for the big three. Of course, Benfica, Sporting and Porto usually have uh, all the best young Portuguese players who either come through their academies or they're snapped up as soon as they uh, start making a name for themselves. But these three players uh, played extremely well on the weekend, uh, and actually uh, for some of the smaller teams. So first of all, Thiago, I know you keep a key, uh, close track of up-and-coming players in Portugal. Please tell us about Diogo Jota, the Passos de Ferreira attacking midfielder, who it seems is set for a move to Benfica next season. How good is he? Uh, do you think he has what it takes to make it at the Lisbon Giants? Well, Diogo is a really interesting player to me, and the players that we're going to talk about, not only did they have really good games in the weekend, but they have been having really good seasons. And that's extremely interesting. They're not just a one-time thing kind of players. They're, they've been doing solid all season. And Yogi's definitely, definitely one of them. He was brought into the first team last season, I do believe, with Paul Fonseca in charge. And he did well. He played mainly as a winger. And then as soon as he started to make an impact... Paulo pushed him to a more more of an attacking midfielder kind of position. And he did well there. With Paulo's 4-4-2, he played near near Bruno Bunmueira up front. And and they did well together, one as a more traditional striker and Diogo Jota as more of a wanderer behind him. And this season he has been a little bit, he has been going through a little bit of an adaptation. He didn't start off as well, I do believe. But then he was moved to the left side. He tends to play more on the left now, and he tends to drift into the middle. He's still an attacking midfielder, in my view, and is really solid. He has been scoring a lot of goals. I believe he has seven goals in the league with five assists as well, which represents a lot of what he does in the pitch and he comes he comes into the middle a lot. He, he has a lot of those Gaitan tendencies of not being just a traditional winger who's just that who's just there to put on a cross. He is 
there to come into the middle to switch positions with the mo- with the with the other attacking midfielders, and and it's interesting. He has been doing well, and I believe the transfer to Benfica is confirmed. If not, it's really close to it because it has been talked about a lot, and some other big clubs were interested. I believe both Atletico de Madrid and Chelsea, at least, were interested in the youngster, but. I think they backed off because Benfica had a pre-contract with him or some sort of deal. So assuming he's going to Lisbon, which is interesting for him, I think it's I think it's a decent move. I think if there's there if there's a one of one of the big clubs interested in him, the right move would either be Benfica or Sporting because I don't think he'd fit the Porto play style for now. And it will be interesting to see how he fits in. Of course, at Benfica has Rui Vitoria now, which is a coach that supports young players a lot more. And you can see that this season with Renato Sanchez, with Gonçalo Guedes. And it will be interesting because I don't know if his idea for Jota is to playing, is to play him more, more from one of the wings into the middle or to start him as a second striker, which is the, the, the position which I prefer to. To watch him play. Yeah, it's, it's interesting there you uh, compared him a little bit to Nico Gaetan. Yeah. Of course, Gaetan every single season, uh, in both in summer and in the January transfer window, uh, you know, the, the sports press always say he's about to be sold. Yeah, uh, maybe. There's always, there's <laughs> always English yeah. clubs interested in him. There are always yeah. players saying he's going to move, but he never does. And yeah, maybe I'm if he does, do you think, do you think Jota could be a, a worthy replacement, or is that? I think, I think on one end it would give him a lot more space in the team, and that's great. But on the other end, I don't know if it's a bit of a, a bit too much of a step up because Gaetan is an extremely important player for Benfica. possibly. Is definitely top three players in the league yeah. for a couple of years now, and it will be tough for Jota to simply replace him like that. And on the other end, if the idea of, of Rivitoria is to play him as an attacking mid, is I don't like as a second striker as, as per se. I don't think anyone's replacing Jonas right now at the moment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think John, Jota is going to come in and just. Take Jota's position, and no, that's not gonna happen like that. So he's either gonna stay in the bench for a little bit and then break into the first team eventually, or because if he has a lot of options for the wings as well, if Gaetan doesn't leave, either Gaetan or Salvio, one of them will probably leave at the end of the season. Well, I know we say this every season, but I believe this is the season in which one of them will, and then they have Carrillo coming in. They have Gonzalo Gadge ranking in, and he was played a lot in the early stages of the season, and now he's he kind of slowed down a little bit. Yeah. And it will be interesting. It will be interesting because I believe I believe Jota can play either from the left or as the second striker, and those are two position. Those are the positions in, twi- in which the two best Benfica players, Jonas and Gaetan, play from. So you just gotta wonder. Where is Jota going to play? Okay, Thiago, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how he fits in at Benfica and if he continues his fantastic season. Now, another young player who has been scoring freely is Moreirense winger uh, Yuri Medeiros. Uh, the sporting low knee has also notched nine goals. 
which is quite remarkable when you think about it, not only because he's a winger playing for, let's be honest, quite a modest team, but also because he has been especially prolific against big opposition. In five games against Porto and Benfica this season, he scored in four of them. So, uh, do you think he can be part of Jorge Jesus's sporting next season? And uh, do you think he even may be able to just sneak into that Euro 2016 squad? Okay, so Yuri has been having a great season. This is definitely Yuri's breakout season, I'd say. And that's the interesting part. He has been scoring a lot. He has been scoring against big opposition. And he has been playing for a side that isn't great. And the side that side that is, despite being mid-table, which is, I'd say it's pretty great for them, um, I don't think it's a side that's as organized as it was last year, and this year they've been riding a lot in the back of Yurim Dez and Rafael Martins, the two big goal scorers of the team, and that's really interesting, I know that obviously sporting, the sporting manager is watching and everyone is interested to know if he's going to be a part of the squad and that's a tough thing to ask because Sporting has a lot of wingers let me tell you that Sporting has a lot of wingers every year another one comes up and this year you have Gelson, you have Mateus, you have you still have Monet uh, who's been playing a little bit more in the middle now and there's still Yurim does, and I think Yurim does has just as much quality as Mane does, to be honest. And I know they're the same generation, but we'll see because Jesus has a really, really strong. He's a really strong-minded manager, in my opinion. And he, if he's, a, if he wants to have you in the fir- in the first team next year as part of his team. He will have him, and he knows it now. And he also knows now if he doesn't want to, because he has a really, he has, he's really strong-minded about his opinions and about his players and about what he wants. Yeah, and when he you, when he makes up his mind, it's made up, yeah. isn't it? A few people yeah. were quite surprised that he didn't stay. Actually, this even this season, didn't yeah, he? I, he, he had I a very good European. That. Yeah, he had a good European under twenty-one championship. Portugal. I know he, he wasn't a starter, but whenever he, he came on, yeah. he, he looked pretty good. And a lot of, uh, I remember there's a lot of talk in the papers that uh, maybe he'd be, uh, you know, maybe a, a part stay, of. Yeah. And then I think a big part of big part of why he didn't stay was Gelson's rise and Mateus's rise. Yeah. And I think Jesus just looked at them and just thought these are the ones I want, and then. And I think Yuri has a lot of work to do defensively. He is really is is he's been doing a lot better now with Miguel Leal in in Moreira's, but he still has a lot to work on. And but he's been a fantastic goal scorer, and it's he is a different winger from the ones that Sporting has. But we'll see in the summer. We'll see, and I guess Sporting has one less winger this season with Carrillo leaving. Yeah. So. I guess you could come in, but it's a spot that other youngsters are dying for. Yeah. And about about the spot in the in the Euros, it's the same situation as, uh, as in the sporting squad. Portugal has a lot of wingers. If you just turned into a into an all and out striker right now, it would it would just be there because that's pro- that's Portugal's problem. 
But as a winger, I really doubt it because there are there are a lot of wingers like that are having. Well, I wouldn't say they're having better seasons, but they're having they have more capacity, more experience, and I don't think he's gonna. Go, I definitely don't think he's gonna go. It would definitely surprise me a lot, but you yeah. never know. Yeah. Well, was, the reason I asked that is because, of course, Portugal has really been associated with wingers the last uh, 20 years or so. It's been absolutely incredible, the amount of high-quality wingers, some of the best in the world, they've had. But uh, that, that kind of well seems to have dried up a little bit. I mean, uh, Quaresma will probably go because he, he did well for Fernando Santos in the, in the campaign, but, you know, he's coming to the end of his career. And, uh, like you said, there's quite a few... I'd say interesting prospects like Gelson Martins, probably maybe the best of them, but none of them are really. You can't really yeah. uh, look at them and say yes, you know that's that's uh, Portugal's next winger. There's, yeah, there's, I think there are a lot of them with quality, but it's it's always a tough ask. But mm-hmm. we'll see because I think is uh, I think Fernando Santos is going to take obviously the established wingers. He's going to take Cristiano for for sure. I think <laughs> I think he's not going to leave him out. Uh, he's gonna. He's probably gonna take Quaresma and Nani, and yeah. then I think he will take maybe one or two of these young, more surprising wingers that have been playing a lot lately. And that can be Yui, that can be Gelson, that can be Gonçalves. I know Fernando Santos has appreciated Gonçalves's qualities a lot lately, and but he has been staying on the bench a lot. So yeah, if yeah. he goes, I'd be more surprised if Gonçalves goes if than if. Yuri does. Yeah. But we'll see. The the doubt is all on the the striker's spot as well. We don't yeah. know if Ronaldo's <laughs> going to play there. If they're going to play with two wingers up front and Bernard Silva as an attacking mid. We'll see. It will be interesting. And yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that's just a little taste there of uh, Euro two, 2016 chat. And, of course... Uh, we'll be focusing strongly on the Euros uh, as the tournament approaches. Uh, but uh, back to this weekend and back to having a look at these young players. We just had uh, just been talking about two very interesting Portuguese talents. Uh, there's another young uh, midfielder, attacking midfielder, who made a big impact on the weekend. Uh, he's Brazilian. Otavio is his name. He's an FC Portia. Porto player, but he's on loan at Vitoria Guimarães, and he has looked very, very good uh, recently. This weekend, uh, he really showed outrageous skill and audacity in creating the two goals for Vitoria. And then uh, he won and scored a penalty. Uh, okay, maybe a little bit of a dive, a theatrical <laughs> dive, to win the penalty. Uh, but uh, Thiago, those assists were something special, weren't they? I I know the first one was an uh, in, incredible, uh, mesmerising run, but the the second one also, the the way he just stood still for it must have been a good two or three seconds. He just stood <laughs> absolutely still, waiting for the defender to commit himself, uh, and then uh, in a flash, of, you know, a blink of the eye, he was off uh, away from the defender, putting that peach of a cross goal. So. Uh, would you put him in the same bracket as the two youngsters we've just talked about? Uh, how do you rate him? Is he as well, good as them? Better? Worse? What do you think? I think Otavio is really talented. Otavio, well, he's already... He's, I, I say he's already 21 as if he was old, but 21 mm-hmm. in the sense of you see Jota that's 19, you see Juan Neves that's 18, 
you see Gonzalo Guedes, that's 19 as well. So you, you have both Otavio and Yurim Deus have 21, for example. And when you're 21 and he left Brazil in 2014, I believe, to come to Porto. So he left Brazil when he was 19 or when he was approaching 20. Uh, so he's already quite an experienced player. He's in his second country of his career, as per se. And he's really talented, and Porto saw something special in him. And to be honest, I did not watch a lot of him, a lot of him for Internacional in Brazil. But when he came in, it did not make too much of an impact in Porto's B team. And last year he was loaned for a bit to Guimarães, but he didn't make that much of an impact either. I mean, he played... But I wouldn't say he's, he made this impact that, that he's having this season. But this time, it's really it's surprising to me, not because of his quality, because he's a quality player, and I know he's, he's being supported by Sergio Conceição, so he feels good about, it, about his play, and he, he has been playing a lot and well. And what's more surprising is that Guimarães has both... Tose for the attacking midfielder spot, even Montoya, which also came in this season. And I expected to see Tose a lot more playing the Portuguese midfielder. That's an ex-Porto player as well. But we haven't seen that that much. And we've seen Otavio rise, especially now with Sergio Conceição as the attacking mid of the team. And I think he has been doing great. He, he has six goals, I do believe, in the league. And... He has been absolutely terrorizing defenders. He's a really, really crafty little player, but at the same time, he's really aggressive when he's off the ball. He's not. He, I wouldn't say he defends that well yet, but I know he's a really tough player to deal with because he doesn't want to lose it and he just goes after the goes after whoever picks the ball from him. So he's always a player that the coach likes to have. He's a creative midfielder who tracks back and who actually puts in an effort for the team, who scores, who assists. I think he's talented. People started talking about maybe him going to Porto already, like now, mid-season, but I don't think that's going to happen. He has four assists as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's a similar situation to Yui in the sense of if they're going to stay in the big teams next season, in the big squad, uh, next season of both Porto and Sporting, respectively, and it will be interesting to see because Porto don't have, Porto does not have an attacking midfielder. A true number ten, I don't think Porto has it. I think Herrera is too defensive for that. Brahimi, I prefer to watch him on one of the wings, and and there and there is a really good box to box midfielder, but I don't think Porto has that creative midfielder who plays there in the middle. Like Otavio can, and I think Otavio can do that next year. I think that's something that Porto doesn't have since Quintero left, and Quintero didn't do too well. But I think Otavio has more of a chance in Porto's squad with Pizarro next year than Yuri in Sporting squad, because Otavio does. I don't see another player in Porto's in Porto's team that has you that has Otavio's characteristics of. That kind of crafty little attacking midfielder. And I see a lot of wingers who, despite having different characteristics from Yurim those can do somewhat similar things, especially Mateus, who's younger. So, we'll see. 
we'll yeah. see as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a good point you make about Porto and number 10, of course, uh, because uh, they had all this, uh, they just seemed to be stockpiling midfielders at the start of the season, but uh, most of them were defensive holding midfielders, and uh, that seems to be what they lacked. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if Ottavio can uh, come in and. Uh, if he doesn't grab a first team place at least uh, you know start getting some experience for Porto okay uh, well it's going to be very interesting seeing if those three players develop uh, and continue to develop uh, as they have been this season uh, it was interesting you said something at the start of your analysis which was all of these three players have been quite consistent throughout this yeah, season yeah throughout the season yeah, which not is, only this yeah. It's quite unusual, isn't it, for very young players? That's normally their problem. They're normally yeah. inconsistent. So, uh, yeah, definitely uh, free to look out for. Now we're going to move on to the second part of the podcast, which is we're going to turn our attention to Europe. Braga, Sporting and Porto all played a second leg of their Europa League ties this week. Uh, Let's start off with Braga for a change. Uh, Thiago, uh, Paulo Fonseca has done a fantastic job at redeeming his reputation since his nightmare year as Porto coach. Uh, First of all, last season he was back at Passos, did a very good job. Uh, That earned him a chance at Braga where... He, again, has uh, impressed this season. Uh, Braga, they're still in all four competitions and they're well-placed to make progress in the Europa League after beating Sion 2-1 in Switzerland in the first leg last week. Uh, surely there'll be in the last 16 draw after tonight's second leg at the quarry, Thiago. And uh, how do you assess Fonseca's work this season? Fonseca has been doing great. Fonseca is... A great coach is a fantastic coach, and he did a really good job in passes when on his first stand. And then in ports, we had a tough time. He did. He maybe moved too early, in my view. He moved too early to a big team, or the and there are a lot of reports that say that the players didn't have that great of a relationship with him because there, there. I I still believe that there's a lot of mistrust from players in seeing a coach come in from a small side in Portugal and come into another into another big teams and the players that play, especially players in Porto that have played in other big places in Europe mm-hmm. and there's a lot of misconceptions about the coach and probably they don't trust him as much and they and Paul Fonse has come to terms and said that, that he has a, t- a tough time dealing with players after his experience in Porto because it was so so touching in a in a bad sense for him. But now he's been doing great. He, I think he jumped to Braga in a good timing. I think Braga is a fantastic t- team for him because not it's a big team. You you can say that it's not one of the big three, but it's definitely a big team. And at the same time, it's not one of the big three. There's not the there is more and more pressure year after year, but there isn't the pressure that there is in Benfica or in or in port especially, and he's, he did great, and I think he did great from the beginning of the season, like from early summer, as soon as he signed the papers to come into the club, I think he did great from that moment on, because he has, a fa- 
to start off the season, he had a fantastic squad. He has so much depth in this squad. I believe it. I I've been saying this whole season. I think I even made an article early season about Braga's depth this season. Now far they could go in Europa League because that's Braga's advantage this season. They have quality, sure they do, and but they always have quality. Braga's side is always a quality side, but with Paul Fonseca he displays the team in a more much more of an attacking offensive way. So people tend to appreciate it more. And he has so much depth, offensive depth especially, and he can play with a different set of strikers each week if he wants, and all of them have quality, similar quality too. And that will give him a really big air balloon to keep him both in the league, in a good position in the league in fourth place in this case, and to keep him in Europa League. And as soon as the ties rolled out, Braga tying with Sion, I think it was really good for them, because as soon as you looked at it, you just saw Portos and Sporting style, and you went kind of like, this is going to be tough, and you went, looked at Braga's style, and you went, they're going to go through. I mean, no disrespect to the to the Swiss side that has a lot of offensive quality, but they're defensively, they're shy, and and it, they're, they don't have the Braga's quality, so they, if Braga didn't go through, it would be on their it would be their fault, as per se. But Braga has a lot of quality. I believe that Braga today will won't have a easy match, but they will have all the chances to go through. They they might. I can see Braga tying at home today because I can see the game ending in like a one-one maybe. But if either that or in a Braga win, but I think Braga is going to go through, and Braga has the chances to. No matter which opponent they get for the next round, I think the Braga has the chance to to make an impact at least to be. I know that there are teams with much more quality in the Europa League. That's undeniable. I mean, Dortmund, Dortmund's in the Europa League, but mm. but still, I think Braga won't be a an easy opponent. No team, if Braga goes through today, no team, not even the bigger teams, are like, yes, we want Braga. No, you don't want to face Braga. You don't want to face this Braga. This Braga gives a lot of work to your to their opponents. Even in January, they made really good transfers. Picking up Josué was great for them. Josué has been doing really well. He did well in, in Turkey, and in Porto, he was always kind of meh, as per se. But I think he's doing well. I think he is another quality player. Is another player to give depth. Rafa Silva is having a fantastic season, and I think Rafa Silva has a place in the Euros for sure, especially after this season. Another winger, 22 yeah. years old, just a year. Just a year. If you think that Rafa Silva, a player that has so much experience, a player that went to the World Cup, I do believe. If not, at yeah. least he was in the pre. No, no, you're right. Yeah, it he did, was in the squad. He, did go. he was the youngest yeah. uh, squad member. Did, yeah. So, and he's 22 now. Just to think that he's one, he's only one year older than Yuri Mendes, who's, who's having now his break breakthrough season. I don't want to call like 21 year olds older players, but they nowadays players develop a lot faster. And at 19, they're playing for big things. And Rafa is an example of that. And Rafa didn't go to Porto in January. Because Braga didn't accept the offer, I, the offer I do believe they were yeah. a lot of zeros on that offer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think of course he will definitely be moving in the summer. Uh, yeah, most lot, likely. Yeah, most likely. Uh, either to to one of 
Portugal's big three. There's been a bit of talk uh, with Porto, but probably more likely uh, to a big club abroad, I'd say. Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd say to a big yeah. club. I'd say that Jota, for example, doesn't. I don't think Jota has the capacity to flourish in a big club now. He needs more minutes because yeah. he's 19 too. But Rafa, I think Rafa can make an impact for a big club. I've heard in British clubs inter- interested in him, both Man United and mm-hmm. Chelsea at least. I think he could do well. I yeah. don't. I don't know if he's going to start up in the first team like and score ten goals, but he's definitely going to do well and yeah. bring an impact. Okay. Well, uh, as I say, uh, we'll be talking about the Euros, and I think Rafa will come into that conversation uh, in the coming weeks. And uh, also, we'll have to have a look at this. It's really a very exciting time to be a. Portuguese football fans there's so many young talented players exactly coming through and uh, Rafa is certainly in that group okay uh, so going back to the Europa League uh, you just mentioned it a while ago a far tougher task awaits Portugal's two other representatives in the Europa League after both of them lost to German opposition in the first leg uh, Thiago if we look at Porto first uh, is there any way back from a 2-0 deficit against a team of Dortmund's capacities? Uh, at the start of the season, most observers agreed Porto had the strongest squad in Portugal, but they certainly haven't shown that on the pitch. Uh, what went wrong for them, in your opinion? OK, so firstly, talking about Dortmund, <laughs> it's unfortunate, but I don't think so, to be honest. I I do believe, because any, anything can happen, but... I don't think it's going to happen, because Dortmund is, in my opinion, by far the toughest side in Europa League. In my eyes, they really are. And I remember Jesus saying that Porto and Sporting got the unluckiest draws, because they got the two tougher teams in Europa League. And I don't know if Leverkusen is top two Euro- Europa League teams, but they're definitely like top five. And Dortmund is, for me, at least, the stronger team, the more balanced team, the team with more options. Dortmund has the second place in the Bundesliga locked up, and they know they probably won't get Bayern in the first place. So they may as well focus in Europa League, and I think that they can take the cake this year. And we'll see what's going to happen. But it's a really tough task for Porto. Porto is in a... It's in a difficult position in the league. They th- they're three points away from Benfica, six points away from Sporting. They need to close that gap. They need to focus their efforts on the league. At the same time, in Germany, they had to make a lot of changes. They were not they weren't lucky with the injury situations. They had to bring adaptation central backs with Layun. Who I think it's Layun is probably I it's def- it's definitely Porto's best player this season, in my opinion. But not as a central back. That's not his position. I know he had to play there because Shidozi also wasn't isn't available for Europa League games yet. So it's it's tough for Porto. And I I don't think they're gonna make it. I know they can make a solid home effort, but beating Dortmund, they would need to beat Dortmund two 0 and take it to extra time, or they they need to beat Dortmund three 0 I don't think that's going to happen. I, I I can't see Dortmund not scoring here. And even if they don't score, I can see their defense crumbling down to the point of Porto scoring twice or thrice. With that said, Porto really had a strong squad. In the, in, well, Porto do have a strong squad. Porto have a really solid squad. But I don't I don't know if if they had 
the best squad in, in the sense of they have really good players and everyone knew that, but they had some positions with a lot of talent and then they lacked some creativity in other aspects. They lacked a clear number 10 because the only player that's somewhat a number 10 is Bueno, who isn't, who, who didn't fit in, who in Spain used to play as a second striker, not really as a number 10 in a 4-3-3. And they lacked a player this season, in my opinion, they lacked Oliver Torres, who did amazing last year. I don't, I don't think Oliver Torres was valid enough last season. He did so well for Porto, and this season he's not doing that well for Atletico. Over that, that's another story. But, uh, but I don't. Th- I think they lack that number ten. That because if they bring Brahim into the middle, it's not the same thing. And then they lack one of their good wingers. I think they made good transfers. I think Abu Bakar had a really good start to the season, but then somewhat faded off, and they and they didn't really have another striker till now, in which they bring they brought in Suk. And Marega, Suk can be a decent option in my opinion. Marega is, Marega wasn't that great of a buy and I'll, this will be my opinion until he, <laughs> until he decides to change it for me. But I think Marega was way too expensive now and way, he's, he didn't do enough to, to be worthy of a big move like that in my opinion. But, and he's way was too... That another, was that another case of Porto buying a player more to, prevent sporting buying them than well, actually needing I them I can't accuse people of that but but <laughs> it's tough because Marega is too, di- too direct of a player for Porto in my opinion but we'll see we'll see what happens but Raheem mm. is, is really good obviously but he, he doesn't he hasn't had the best season Imbula is a really good player and he has shown that since he went to Stoke but apparently it was the, the transfer fee was so high and we, I think that pressured, that pressured both Imbula to do more than he had to and, and to adapt faster than he had to. And he pressured even Lopetegui to, to play him, obviously, because on one end, early season, Imbula wasn't ready to start, in my opinion. And there and there was better, it was better to start with Ruben Neves and Nehera, for example. But they, he just, Add quote unquote add to start in Bula because you can't just have you can't just look at fifty thousand fans in the stands and say yeah I bought this guy for twenty million and I'm gonna keep him on the bench so it was it was tough a tough time for the Frenchman and Andre was a really good transfer in my view both Andre Andre Layun and Corona were all really great transfers but they're they're lacking a number ten. Defensively, they lack a really good central back, in my opinion. Maicon had a tough time now, but Maicon was never that great. Maicon was always a solid central back, don't get me wrong, but was Maicon really better than Benfica's central backs, or even sporting central backs for that matter now? I don't think so. Did he have the quality to be Porto's captain? I don't know. To be hmm. honest, I really, I really don't know. I, I think they're missing a central back. I think they're missing an attacking mid. I think there was a lot of pressure on Maxi because of the transfer situation and a lot of pressure on Casillas for him being who he is. And he has been doing great. He has been saving them a lot this season. And Imbula had a lot of pressure due to the transfer fee. Lopetegui wasn't loved by the supporters last season. Now he's even less loved. 
as per se, and he just had to leave, and now Pizarro has a really tough task, and I think if he, if he's given a chance in the summer, I think next season might be their revamp season, their, they just give some, trade some players off, that I think they need to either start playing Sergio Oliveira or loan him out, I think loaning him out is probably the best idea, okay, I think he has quality, he came on after a really good Euros, yeah. uh, Sergio Oliveira did great, in my opinion, but he started, what, against Dortmund now? All of a sudden, they just throw him in a game against Dortmund and it didn't really work out. I think that player needs to go either, I think, to, to not into one of the smaller sides, but into somewhat of a Braga side or something. And we'll see what's going to happen to Porto. I think Pizzou is a coach that can bring them to life again, offensively at least. Defensively... Uh, He's just going to praise Casillas a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, of course, if Porto don't win this league this season, and uh, it's looking that way at the moment, it will be three seasons without a Portuguese title, which is uh, very surprising given the recent history of Portuguese football. Well, the history, you could say, maybe for the last three decades of Portuguese football. So it's going to be interesting to see if they finally manage to regroup next season. Yeah, the oh, pressure is high. Yeah, a lot of pressure there, especially Pinto da Costa not getting any younger. Some talk of some, uh, you know, some maybe internal strife. People trying to make their positions make their known way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to to be the next president. But uh, something to keep uh, a close look on for sure. Okay, finally, uh, let's move on to Sporting. And the Primeira Liga leaders fell to a disappointing 1-0 defeat against Bayer Leverkusen in last week's first leg. Uh, Sporting, of course, played a weakened team in that match. Uh, JJ has stated on several, equations that, on several occasions that winning the league is the number one priority. And uh, I was at that game, and you really could sense that right the way through the team, I'd say even the supporters, uh, there was a kind of there wasn't really it didn't feel like a European night uh, it feels like sporting really this season have, have the, the atmosphere at the league games has been absolutely fantastic and there's a real excitement that something something is happening something big is happening at the club of course sporting haven't won the league uh, for almost f- uh, 15 years and uh, they've certainly given themselves a very good chance this season but, uh, of course, on the reverse side, uh, it seems like the Europa League uh, is definitely not a priority for them. Uh, can you see that changing on Thursday, Thiago? Or uh, can the Lions overturn a 1-0 scoreline in Germany? Well, we always knew that JJ had, had that in mind, that the uh, he has his mind in the championship and you just completely... Disregards the every other competition basically, but which is it's a perspective. You can't criticize it when he's as, when you can't criticize someone that's as su- successful at his job as he is. So you just have to kind of go with it. the The problem is that you have this coach that is extremely blunt and extremely honest with not only his players but his fans. And from the start, he comes up and he says we're going to win the league and everything else is on the second tier of priority and both the fans know that, the players know that and you see that in the league game Sporting 
as an environment now that they never had before or that they haven't had in quite a while. And in Europa League matches, people know and the players know and that has disadvantages, obviously, because you want to put some belief into your players but at the same time, I guess a really blunt perspective isn't really that bad if you win the league. The issue is if Sporting can't stay in the first place. On one end, you have this manager that has only one focus, so the pressure for the pressure for him to achieve that goal is goes high, high, high. And we'll see what's going to happen. I think Sporting can retain the league this season. I think, but I think that the Europa League will be on a second, on the second tier of priority. I looked at the when the the ties came out. I and I saw that it was Leverkusen. My and my first reaction was, Sporting can do it if Sporting plays the away match first. And that wasn't the case. I think Sporting could have done it if Sporting played the away match first, because I believe Sporting can score in Germany. The Leverkusen is a really tough opponent in the sense of they're really good offensively. They're a real attacking side for a couple of years now. But defensively, they're not great. They have, they focus a lot more, a lot more. they're one of the most attack, attacking offensive sides in Europe. And, they, and that's great. They're great to watch. They're great fun to watch. But they're definitely beatable. And I think that Sporting could have scored there. Sporting, if the first match was there, even if Sporting came in with a somewhat weakened side, Sporting could have left with like a 1-1 or something and Sporting could have could have known that, okay, if we score here, we might have a chance to go through. So they probably would, in my mind. And then the second match in Alvalade would be a lot better to retain the to retain the results. But that wasn't the case. You played the first match at home, and it was a really poor match. It was by far Sporting's worst match of the season. Sporting had like one shot on, tar- on target. It was really bad. Really, really bad. And it was a team, you look at, you look at Leverkusen's team, and you see that they play an extremely offensive 4-4-2. They play a 4-4-2 that's more offensive than JJ's 4-4-2, in my opinion. Because instead of a defensive mid and a midfield to um, a midfielder to balance things out, like Adrian is, or like João Mario sometimes does, you have, on at least on the team that played Sporting, you have Christoph Kramer, who played in the World Cup final, and he's a really good defensive mid. And in front of him, there's Chalanoglu. And the Turkish is at number 10, completely. So they're like five men five men attacking you. They played like almost on a 5-5. Five, five. <laughs> and and they're really they're really they're really attacking side. And I think Sporting could have used that to their advantage. Sporting I, I know they have really good attacking players, but defensively they make their mistakes. They have really they have a really offensive left back as well. Well, on Vendel, but then the right back is quite offensive as well. Yet Vai put in a fantastic cross for Belarabi's goal, and I don't know. I don't know if Sporting's going to do it there because in the papers today in Portugal it came out that Bruno Cesar was going to rest alongside Coates both for the Vitória game, and that's okay because I think that if those two rest, I think he might play Adrian and Slimani to attack the tie. Because Adrian and Slimani rested last week, because they didn't, or rested from the start, as per se. 
And we'll see what's gonna happen. We'll see what's gonna happen. Naldo will probably start in Coates' place. And it will be one of the youngsters on, on Bruno Cesar's wing. Bruno Cesar didn't play last week due to injury. And now he's being rested so he can play versus Vitoria. And you can see it's a complete change. The, the way Sporting played against Boavista didn't have anything to do with the way Sporting played against Leverkusen. And it has a lot to do with mentality. And yeah. Yeah, that's right, because even against Boavista, uh, uh, one or two surprising selections, you probably wouldn't say that's Sporting's first choice team, but the whole dynamism of the team was, uh, yeah, like Yeah, it was say, completely changed, yeah, completely level. changed. Yeah. Well, still, they still made a couple of... They kind of settled in after after being 2-0 up, and they scored, they scored from two set pieces, which is extremely rare for Sporting, or yeah. it was extremely rare before Jesus showed up, but... Yeah. Uh, they scored from two set pieces and then they kind of fell back on the game and Bovista had a really decent second half and Bovista created chances and Sporting gave out a lot of space and Sporting can't play like that in Germany because Leverkusen will make Sporting play. Chicharito is playing because Chicharito came back this weekend and it will be tough, really tough. Mm-hmm. And we'll see. We'll see what's going to happen. If yeah. Slimani and Adrian play uh, and Sporting... I believe Sporting can score first like, until half time. I think Sporting has a chance, but it's not. It's not nothing guaranteed, and it's really tough. And I know that if Sporting somehow concede within the first 15, 20 minutes, Jesus is just gonna give up on the game. He's just gonna give up on the game, <laughs> and and yeah. that's okay. It's his perspective, and I know that it will be interesting. It will be interesting, despite whatever happens on Thursday tomorrow. It will be really interesting to see how Sporting plays against. Vitoria afterwards with uh, with their mind side and with Vitoria coming in motivated after a decent a really good match to be honest against against Braga so that that will be interesting I think the league is really interesting this year so yeah. that's to compensate for the lack of the lack of Europa League action for Portuguese teams because I think that only Braga is staying if yeah, you, yeah I think that Braga and Benfica might stay in the in the European competitions for another for another round, but other than that, I guess we'll have to focus on the league, and yeah. that's okay. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, we definitely will be doing that in the coming weeks, this is one of the most exciting Primera League title races for years, and uh, like Tiago just mentioned there, the leaders sporting, they uh, really come into a crucial stage in their title campaign, they got the very tough game away at Gimmerange after coming back from Germany. And, and then the very next game is potentially the title decider, Sporting against Benfica. So we'll be talking about those in the coming weeks. Uh, that's great stuff, Tiago. Uh, thank you, Will. We'll be coming back in a, a week or two, so we'll see how right or wrong you were. <laughs> okay, okay. And uh, thank you very much for your expert insights. Thank you. Thank you very much for giving me the chance to be here, and thank you guys for listening. Okay, thank you, yes, listeners, for tuning in. Plenty to look forward to this week then, and indeed in the coming weeks, as the big decisions get nearer and nearer. Not to mention, uh, of course, uh, the, all the build-up to Euro 2016. So be sure to tune in to our next podcasts, and also check out the site www.portugal.net, that's P-O-R-T-U, G-O-A-L.net to keep track of all the goings on in the Portuguese game. Até a próxima!